This is a story of devotion and commitment about our good friend and motoring journalist Brent Davidson. Brent recently did a post on Facebook which said the first plate of spiced chicken wings has been served, the first tapas platter is out, the first beer has been cracked, Bathurst weekend has officially started. The race started actually on Sunday at 11am but the post was dated Saturday 1.12pm. Brent joins us on the line. Brent, watching Bathurst races, is this a labour of love, pure relaxation or a religious commitment? Oh, a bit of a bit of everything, David. A bit of everything. It's it's uh, it's it's a good way to um, to uh, commune with my other half. She's a bit of a rev head too, you see. So um, we 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 get a chance to sit down and spend spend a quiet weekend on the couch discussing who will or won't win. How's that? That's that, that's just a simple simple way to spend some time together. Surely this is a sign of a true marriage, which I know for you has been long and loving, in that the older you get, the closer you get in common interests. So she's part of this Bathurst ritual? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm one of these uh, very lucky uh, chaps who, um, who, who has a, a wife who actually... Um, enjoys motor racing enjoys cars doesn't like like going fast when she's in the car but watches enjoys watching other people go fast she has a certain enjoyment of the looks of some of the drivers too doesn't she it's not a nice thing to say about your wife that she's infatuated with another man but 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 i understand it uh she she has a had up until uh saturday a, a little bit of a um a, a grip on Craig Lowndes, but uh, she admitted to me on Sunday morning that that, that slipped and she's replaced it with a, a young New Zealand fellow named Richie Stanaway. Craig Lowndes is 43 years old, and for her that's a bit old. I must confess I'm struggling with that. Yeah, let's not go any further, David. It's 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 a bit hard for me to take as well. <laughs> well, they say it doesn't matter where you get your appetite as long as you eat at home. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> You started watching on Saturday. There was some broadcast on Friday. Did you feel the need to look at these? Well, actually, I did start watching on Friday. Um, I, I shut the office at, uh, at midday and uh, walked four metres to my couch and plonked in front of the Fox Box. It's like the Royal Show. You know, the, the, the Royal Show opens on, uh, on Thursday and they, op- they officially open it a week later. So I officially opened Bathurst in the, uh, in the Davison household at... Uh, at uh, one one twelve on Saturday afternoon, I thought I thought that was fairly appropriate. Did you sit down and watch it in absolute real time, or do you record just maybe getting half an hour so you can skip through the ads, or do you, as I say, do you watch it live? No, we're we're real timers. We watch the whole thing um, go to woe uh, as it happens, as it unfolds, according to Fox. Like any true mystical experience, I guess, then you have to have an element of pain and suffering. Now, let's look at some of that. I haven't seen Friday too much. That's a bit of practice. Practice, yeah. Look, Saturday has practice as well, and I really like that because this is when the teams haven't long been on the circuit. They've had development all year. They've been trying different things. But now, if you pardon that appalling part, the rubber hits the road, where they're really pushing fast. I, I haven't watched a lot of V8 supercars, but going back to an absence made the heart grow fonder. I thought they were really driving uh, the legs off those things, pushing to the limits and maybe even beyond the ragged edge. Absolutely. But what we have to understand is that there, there are, there are two, um, two distinct halves to the Bathurst race. Uh, Friday and most of Saturday is spent getting the cars set up to go as fast as possible to actually go along that ragged edge 
and, and set times that uh, nobody would think possible. After that, the cars are then pulled back from that, the, the, the extremity to the point where on, on, in the Sunday morning warm-up, they're getting them into race trim so that they'll be a few seconds a lap slower but a lot, lot easier and better to drive, a bit more forgiving. The thing I like about Saturday too, and I used to go up to the Saturday races uh, and, and as a spectator uh, for the practice session and then come home and watch it live. So the, the practice gave me that sense of speed and being close to it, but watching it on television gave me the whole view, which I think is a different thing. But uh, the thing about practice, even watching it on television, I admire the commentators uh, greatly, but there is a time for the mute button, but even then they recognise there are times when they don't need to talk. A whole lap from inside the car with the telemetry showing what the uh, car is doing. I find that fascinating. Look, I have to say, David, that, that most of the time I could, I could live with that alone. Um, but you're right, the commentators are very good at what they do, uh, very knowledgeable, very handy to listen to, but sometimes you just want to shut off that level of intrusion and just hear, hear the... It, it becomes an experiential thing. You know, you just want to see the picture and, and hear the noise and, you know, you, you can almost feel what the drivers are feeling. And I love it for that. There's a number of other things on the Saturday. You often get the technical segments where someone with a whiteboard will explain downforce and braking, for example. I like it, although it's often done with a bit too much hype. What I want is a cool, calm description. Yeah, I guess the thing is that um, what they are hoping to do, and I don't mean to sound imperious here, but, but they want to explain it in fairly simple terms, uh, you know, layman terms, uh, because there are people who will only watch one motor race event a year, and that's Bathurst. So those people might not be up with the, you know, the, the, the abbreviations and descriptions and the whole thing. They want it laid out in simple terms that are very understandable. It's like when we come to horse racing. Like I wouldn't, when, I, when I see race horses, all I can see is a bunch of uh, dog food cans galloping around. But one day a year, Melbourne Cup Day, I, I might want to know something about it. So I'm happy for someone to explain it to me in fairly simplistic terms so I can get it. I totally agree with that. It's also my approach to wine as well. I don't wish to become the absolute expert, but I've sat down when he was live with Len Evans at dinner one time, and he explained it with the understanding that I was a moron. So, And, and he did yep. that well, and I, I don't mind that at all. There are other things on Saturday, interviews with team drivers and managers. Now, the potential there seems obvious, but in mo most cases, I don't think they're really of value. Drivers have been media trained to within an inch of their life, and they've used every cliche about motor racing known to man. Do you get much out of those interviews? I personally, no. The, the enjoyment I got from interviews over this particular weekend was with the likes of Kevin Bartlett, Bob Morris, John Bauer, Dick Johnson, Alan Moffat, Alan Grice. The, the, the heroes and legends of the past when they were asked to talk about their experiences from the 60s and 70s. That, I, I got a lot more of, out of that because uh, I was a, a kid in the 60s and 70s and, and revered these guys and watched them when they raced. And in, in my career as a journalist and motorsport journalist, I've actually got to know quite a few of them at a, at a, at a more personal level and now I can relate better to them when they speak. And, and because they are not affiliated with a team, a manufacturer, a product, they will speak more candidly. 
and they will tell you what they really thought at the time. They can manage to do an interview without mentioning the name of a sponsor, that the team is really great and that they love their co-driver. Yep. Yeah, these are the usual things. Now, the person asking the questions is critical, and I think quite a lot of them do very well, ex-racing drivers in most part, which is good. But the way to tell if an interview is going to be worthwhile, to my mind, is that while it may look genuine, it can be the epitome of shallowness. The way to tell is whether it's going to be profitable is is that it's inversely proportional to the amount of money the interviewer has spent on their hair and the whiteness of their teeth. (laughs) I'm going to keep that theory now. I love it. (laughs) I'm not going to answer. I just like it. I'm going to use it. (laughs) I don't want someone doing this because like they could be the standard celebrity uh, game show host, you know, where they smile and think every contestant's wonderful. Let's just stick with that for a second, because one thing I noted yesterday was in, 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 uh, on, on the Sunday race for the rain and the you know, horrible conditions, there, there was one reporter who, while a driver was pouring out a tale of woe about how they'd just been their $650,000 race car, this, this reporter was smiling to camera. <laughs> I think, oh, no. <laughs> you may have gotten that a little bit wrong. <laughs> when a person makes a comment, and it might be a good comment even, and they turn to the camera and nod their head and smile as if to say, well, did you get that? Isn't that, isn't that important? Yeah. The final indignity of any of a Saturday broadcasting, of course, is the celebrity interview. Someone who has no understanding, no interest in motor racing is making an appearance at what is really a fashionable event. It's a, but back to your parallel with Melbourne Cup. It's like someone who goes there and, and stands around in one of the big tents but can't tell one end of a horse from another. That's me. Well, yes, but you're, you're honest in doing it. You don't put on a big smile and say, you know, isn't it wonderful, boy, these are great, when you really don't care about it at all. That's true. That's true. And I really hate to see when the uh, obligatory footballer or cricketer is rolled out to give an interview about how great it all is. And, yes, they really have probably little understanding. Or maybe they have a bit of understanding, but they just don't, don't express it well. Ah, they, have, they might have little understanding, but they have no ability to articulate the change they might have had from seeing this rather than just to say, oh, wow, well, gee, which is a little bit like interviewing a driver after he, in the car as he's just con- finished his hot lap. Yep. There's nothing much he can say other than, woohoo, wow. I had to admire David Reynolds' honesty and Betty Flamenco's as well when they said there's, there's nothing I can say when, when, when microphones are shoved in their faces two minutes after the race had finished. Mm. And, I, and I, I loved that. And yet this morning on, uh, on uh, network television, uh, David Reynolds and Luke Yulden were, were, were far more forthcoming. They'd had time to have a good night's sleep, get the bruises and bumps knocked out of them and have a think about what they'd achieved. And, and that, that was the interview that I enjoyed watching on, on two channels, in fact. Mm. So, yeah, uh, immediacy is nice, but uh, time for thought is, is nicer. In the heat of the moment, one reverts to platitudes, I think. Yep, exactly right, exactly right. And, uh, yeah, there are only so many ways and times you can thank the same sponsor and your mother and father and at, at least uh, at least david reynolds uh, thanked thanked a deity yesterday so <laughs> yes in his in his his speech i mean david who is is known for being a joker said that uh, 
he thanked the baby Jesus. <laughs> like I say, he 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 thanked the deity. <laughs> I, oh, I thought you were going to say Jack Brabham that he thanked him. <laughs> I don't think David has an, any idea of who Jack Brabham might be. <laughs> Oh, Brent, that hurt, but it was so true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, uh, the broadcast on Sunday, the race, which I think can be quite different, except the first uh, five hours, is it, from 7 to 11, um, is, well, it's four hours, is there anything worth watching there, or, or is the mute button critical or not even turning it on? The mute button does come in handy there. I mean, we do have uh, a warm-up session, Porsches racing, we have Utes racing. I think there was something else as well, P- perhaps uh, Touring Car Masters. I can't quite remember now. It seems such like, like, a, like such a long time ago. Uh, but, yes, once we get to the, uh, the, the, the speeches and the rolling out the state premier and rolling out somebody else and somebody else and then the national anthem yes we all love our national anthem don't get me wrong and then the prayer for the drivers and the whole thing but when you've heard it all a million times you probably don't need to hear it again and that's that's when you have have your own personal pit stop before the race actually starts because it's going to be a damn long day otherwise i once heard the prayer from the the chaplain for the the indy kart racing he's a professional chaplain to it and he it was the Honda Indy 300 up at, at Surface Paradise. And he said, dear Lord, thank you for this beautiful weather in this lovely country as we uh, celebrate here for the Honda Indy 300. And I thought, absolutely perfect. He was gracious to the host, mindful of the glories of creation, and he thanked the sponsors. Yeah. And was that, was that the meeting, David, that about two hours later when the race was halfway through it bucketed down like... <laughs> Rain came over thunderstorms the whole bit. So. <laughs> I expect a sermon on Noah then. Yes, I, no, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Once uh, the race gets going, I think that there are a number of phases. The first phase is when the commentators shout. Yep. I admire them. I know what they have to do, but I often hit the mute button there. I think I'd just prefer to watch the action. Well, let's go back to that, that Melbourne Cup analogy. It's, it's actually inverse to motor racing. If, if you notice, when you watch the horse racing on TV, the commentary starts off quite slowly as the gates open and now they, they say they're, 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 they're racing and then it's like Fred's coming through. And it, it's only in the last sort of 15, 20 seconds that they get excitement and you know, their blood pressure goes off the clock. With car racing, it's the other way around. They get terribly excited and, and the blood pressure up the clock thing for the first sort of five minutes of the race, first ten minutes. Then it starts to ease down. Something happens, goes up again a little bit, eases down. You, know, you can follow the pattern, but, but then when they get to the end, it, it becomes a series of platitudes about how good the driver was and what a wonderful job he did today and he learnt from, from John Bow or whatever. So it's, it's, the, the two are totally inverse. Yes, I, I find then that after about lap 20 that they, they start getting into a number of segments, uh, maybe a bit later into lap 40 and where there's the pit stops, and then you start getting talking about what they do for the driver, cooling down suits and things like that. They then go to the next phase, which is a major player uh, falls out because of mechanical failure. And then you get the pathos 
that they have to talk about such a tough race and such a heartbreak that it is. These are some fairly standard sort of um, segments that I'm not sure if they prepare for, but maybe they should. Oh, yeah, there is the cliché lotto, if you ever want to draw one of those up, and uh, that, that's a bit of fun. Or, or the drinking game, you know. Um, that can get you very drunk, though, when some of the, the, the standard um, clichés are trotted out. Yeah, and, and, but they help to pass the time. Oh, I see. This is like, as soon as they mention uh, this is a race of... Attrition. Yes, a race of attrition. Yep, the fuel-burn ratio. Will the tyres make it to the lap... X, you know, these sorts of uh, sorts of cliches and, and, and race saying, yes. And uh, that's when you have to have a drink, isn't it? That's where you, or it's a competition, whenever the first one said you've got to have a drink. Well, you can. Uh, unfortunately, if you're like me, the, uh, the, the drink has extremely little or no alcohol in it, so there's not a lot of point to it. <laughs> yes, you're not a, a great alcohol drinker, are you? No, no. The last few laps of the race, though, the commentator's voice does go up a bit again, but it's nothing to do with technical facts or, or that. It becomes all this sort of hype about, and they're going to lead the championship or they'll lose their lead, and, and this is the first time in 20 years that someone in a white car with green stripes has ever won this big event. Yep. If not mute, it's certainly perhaps volume might be the switch I aim for. Yeah. Having said that, though, David, um, I once was invited to commentate at nothing more involving than a hill climb event. And you know what? I think it was an extremely difficult day. They thought that because I wrote reasonably well, I probably spoke reasonably well, but, you know, I found commentating that constant talking and making it all sound sensible and interesting one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. So I take my hat off to these guys. So do I. I've commentated for ABC. I've called the first lap, both in the bikes and that, but not a great deal. I don't profess to being the expert. I don't think I could remain sane over 10 hours or whatever the broadcasting length is. No. I do remember one time uh, I was broadcasting. You remember they had the two-litre race when there was a competition to make it the two-litre race at Bathurst rather than the V8s many years ago. Yep. And it rained and they just went round and round and round under a, a safety car. And the ABC crossed back and said, what's the latest happening there on the mountaintop? And, and I thought, boy, you know, I said, well, do you know, there is a whole make of different cars in the top 10. There's a Nissan, there's a what have you. I didn't say that they're probably going around in top gear at the slowest speed possible. <laughs> Yes. Can I make a confession? Go ahead. I was talking to them live and what have you, and talk about cliches. I, I think I said something like, that's the way the cookie crumbles. And I suddenly thought, oh, you idiot. You know, you absolute twithead. Yep. That's when, it, that, that's when it's time to go and get in the car and drive home. Yes. <laughs> Just very briefly, you mentioned the Erebus team, which won. They have a wonderful character who owns that. Can you tell us about her? Well, look, her, her name is Betty Flamenco. All I can tell you is that she, I, I, I know almost nothing. I, kind of, I was about to say a line from Hogan's Heroes then, but um, all, all I can say is that, uh, I, as I understand it, she is related in some way to the, the Frank Lowy uh, family, um, that she, um, and I, I say this as allegedly because I really don't know, that, that she made her, her personal fortune from um, real estate, 
Um, and that's pretty much all I know, that she uh, loves car racing, that she uh, enjoys having tattoos, much like myself. And um, that's it. That's it. Uh, sorry, I just clarify there. You enjoy having tattoos, but they are covered when you wear normal clothing. There's none. Uh, it's the same with Betty as, uh, as I see her on the television. I, I, yes. You don't have anything on your face or your neck, do you? No. No. I, I, I just didn't want the listeners to feel that they were talking to someone that they might not want to meet in the street. Oh, they probably wouldn't anyway, but... Um... <laughs> But but no, no 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 ink is visible under normal circumstances. How's that? Brent, lovely to talk to you. You will be back again next year, I no doubt. Ah, uh, David, I'm sure I'm sure it will happen. It's been fun. <laughs> lovely to talk to you. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. That's Brent Davidson, motoring journalist, Bathurst enthusiast, and a man who balances those factors in a remarkable way. Andrew, 